1: And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. Richard Ryerson here. Thanks,
0: as always, to tuning in the show. If you like what you hear at Dose of Leadership, please take the time, go to iTunes and Stitcher, download it onto your mobile device, take the time to leave a rating and review. It leaves, means so much for the visibility of this show. I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. This is the show where we talk about leadership, where we highlight, hopefully, common sense leadership, because whether we know it or not or whether we like it or not, we're all going to be called to leadership at some time in our lives. Somebody right now is looking to you for influence and guidance. And that's an eye-opening thing to to come to grips with because we can influence people without even trying. And so think about how powerful it can become if we become intentional about trying. And so that's what this show is all about, to bring folks on the show to talk about common sense leadership and listen to their leadership journey as well. Today, I got a great guest on the show. You know, a lot of what I talk about on here, and and my leadership style and influencing has come from the Marine Corps. Any modicum of success that I've had up to this point, I can point directly back in large measure to the United States Marine Corps. I owe the Marine Corps a lot, and you've probably heard me say it before. I didn't realize how much the Marine Corps taught me about leadership until I was away from it when I was furloughed from American Airlines after September 11th and forced into the corporate arena. And again, I can't say enough about it. So it's good to have on the show Lieutenant General George Flynn. Finally, I get another Marine on the show to talk about, and it validates a lot of what I've talked about and what I've experienced as well. Lieutenant General George Flynn wrote the foreword to Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last, and Simon Sinek was kind of inspired by his uh, interview or conversation with Lieutenant Flynn because... Simon Sinek asked him, "How do you sum up the Marine Corps leadership style?" And he said, "It's real simple. Actually, officers eat last, and it's not written down anywhere. It's just a kind of a mentality or a culture, if you will, of how we take care of those that we are accountable for. And if you take care of them, they will take care of you. And so we talk a lot about that." Lieutenant George Flynn had a storied career in the Marine Corps. 38 years. He graduated from the Naval Academy in 1975 and held a variety of leadership positions, including all of the training command for the Marines over there in Quantico, Virginia. Again, I'll let you sum it up in his conversation. It's a great conversation with Lieutenant George Flynn, and I hope you enjoy it here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Lieutenant General George Flynn, so happy you're on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership.
2: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: You know, this the people that listen to the show, they know I talk about the Marine Corps a lot, and again, I owe a lot to the Marine Corps. And uh, kind of my any modicum of success I've had in the corporate arena, I do owe a great deal to the Marine Corps. You get you're coming up on, uh, I guess, two years on your retirement, right? Uh, 38 years in the Marine Corps. How has the last two years been with you? What's the biggest kind of uh, aha moment that you had walking away from the Corps after 38 years?
2: I think that there's probably about two big aha moments is the first of all, the number of emails you receive go from about a couple of hundred to zero <laughs> right. in about one day. So, you know, your your addiction to blackberries and smartphones, uh, you knew you were addicted when the first thing you still do in the morning is look to see, hey, where is it? And then you realize that uh, nobody's uh, writing you as much as they used to right. Not because they don't care about you, but you're looking for that next purpose or passion in life. And I think that's. If there's something that, uh, you know, after you do something most of your adult life, is there something that you look for? It's what's the next passion and what's the next purpose?
0: You know, I talk to a lot of people, even myself at a smaller level, and I can imagine 38 years and how it was so instrumental for you know most of your life a lot of people when they get out it the marine corps it's easy or even in the military in general it's easy to put your arms around something that's bigger than yourself you you easily identify with that have you struggled with that i know a lot of people i know i did a lot of people say god what is that thing i can put my arms around that that's that's bigger than myself
2: i i don't think it's so much struggling it's searching for that thing right uh, and so you're you're looking for something that you had. You you had a sense of purpose. You had a you belonged to something. Uh, you worked with great folks, and then you go out one day, and you know, f- for having done it as long as I did, i really never had to go out and find a job. So now you're out there in the search mode and saying, okay, what is going to be my next passion? So I have found myself the last two two years being open just about uh, looking at anything. Uh, that would allow me to connect with people and to share uh, what I have learned about leadership, uh, adapting and uh, managing large organizations and and getting the job done sometimes in difficult uncertain uh, circumstances so uh, the real challenge has been how do you how do you find a door that is open to bring to bring those kind of talents to the table when they kind of go, well, you know, you're the kind of guy who stayed with one organization for 38 years. So, you know, how, how regimented are you or how open to change are you? You know, when they first look at that. So, you know, because, you know, the today a lot of people go from company to company every couple of years. And right. That's a measure of success. But then you walk in and they say, well, how long were you with your, your last organization? You go 38 years. And you go, well, <laughs> you mustn't like change at all and you mustn't be good at adapting. So you got to get overcome that hurdle. A sure.
0: Bit. But, guys, you know and I know that 38 years in the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps went through so many changes in that time. What was it like back in – once you graduated from the academy in 75 to to when you retired in 2013? I mean, what – take us back to 75. Why did you decide to to join the Corps?
2: Uh, I think I I decided uh, I was influenced. Again, it was uh, people that influenced you. So there were some uh, great uh, Marine Corps instructors at the Naval Academy. I like the way they handled people, uh, I like the way they led people, I like the way they engage with people, I like the way they talk to people, I like the example they set. So it was more their example, so again, it goes back to people, it was their example about how they represented the organization and, and I think how they, how they behaved or how they acted reflected on the values uh, the values of the Marine Corps and also the culture of the Marine Corps. And it was more, uh, you know, an idea of, hey, I, I want to be part of this. Yeah, uh, that that was more the the uh, the deciding factor. It was about the example that other individuals provided.
0: Did you do you have a history in your family of military service?
2: No, not really. My dad served in the Navy for a couple of years during World War II, but that was that was about it.
0: Wow. You know, one of the biggest lesson, I, I go back to you time and time again, and I talk about it on the show. Uh, Numerous times, but uh, the the biggest kind of moment that, or the lesson I learned from the Marine Corps was this idea of, and I took it for granted while I was in it, but this idea of spreading the leadership responsibility throughout an entire organization, and more specifically. Decentralizing the decision-making authority to the absolute lowest levels. I think this is one of the main reasons why the Marine Corps is so successful at what they do, and I think that this is the one aspect in business. If people adopted that, it would they could see tremendous results from that if they adopted that philosophy. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, well, there's a couple of things, and and you you asked a little bit first. You said you know what's changed since 1975. Well what has changed in the environment that whether you're in business or in the military uh, or in your private life is the time and space relationship has changed right Uh, it used to be that uh, we had uh, confined spaces to operate in and we had a a fair amount of time to operate in them now because of the advent of technology the uh, addition of the new operating domain of cyber the global connection uh, you know of the world enabled by information makes everything move so fast, but you have such a large, large area in which to operate in. So you went from uh, confined space to uh, with a lot of time to unlimited space or ever-expanding space with very little time to react because, you know, things happen in business fast, things happen in our personal lives fast, things happen in the news fast, things happen in the military fast. And I think what you learn more and more important, what I learned, you know, as we referred to it as maneuver warfare with what some people would refer to it now as mission command is that if an organization is going to be successful in a in an expanding space environment in a compressed time environment people have to be able to uh, operate independently on intent and they have to be empowered and they have to have the skills to be able to do that So the the things, as you know, we always said, is make sure you in whatever organization you are, make sure you understand what's going on uh, two levels above you and two levels below you. Make sure you take the time to uh, communicate and educate your people on, on what your intent or your vision for the plan is. Make sure they understand it and then give them the authority and the responsibility to to execute. And, and many times that's uh, creating an environment of trust and clearly communicating what's going on. So if they're ever in a dilemma uh, and they can't get in touch with the boss, they know what to do. Right. And they, they, and they believe so much in you that you've, you've educated them, you've empowered them, that they trust you, that they know if they do everything in a well-intentioned manner, it's either going to work fabulously or if maybe uh, they make a little bit of a mistake... They know that, uh, you know, they know that you're the type of leader that mistakes are a learning experience. They'll learn from it and they'll be uh, better the next time it comes up. So I think it's all about empowerment, trust, communication, and then understanding what's going on around you, two levels up and, and two levels down.
0: Well said. You know, it's to me, it's about creating that environment that kind of rewards asking for forgiveness instead of permission. It's not, Again, it's not, I know a lot of people get scared when they hear that, but uh, that that's kind of how I view it. Uh, I, I I remember being in environments and in squadrons where you had leadership like that. where they, And it's like when you had that kind of responsibility and that trust, you, you didn't want to let anybody down. It's like the more uh, autonomy that was granted to us, the, the more responsible you wanted to act. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, but uh, I think the key thing that you nailed it right away, it's uh, the leader has to create the environment that fosters that type of culture. And uh, it's not that you're advocating everybody to be reckless risk sure. takers. What you're advocating is that people will take informed risk. And, and that's what you want them to do. You want them to be, to be confident in their decision that they, they'll know they may not have the 100% solution, but they know that the 80% solution is probably going to be good enough. And and they're also going to have enough confidence and ability to be able to make the adjustments on the fly as they move along. And I and I think that's the key to it is creating that environment where people feel empowered to execute the boss's intent without fe- uh, fear of uh, of uh, repercussion, uh, and and that they know that uh, the boss does trust them. So and I go back to the key part of that is engagement with your people. Communications is the key.
0: You know, like. I'm curious to know any experiences back when you're – right when you – say you graduated from TBS and you're out in the fleet as a young second lieutenant. Those first couple of years, any stories, any examples of where you maybe either made a mistake or something really stuck with you or a great lesson learned from uh, maybe a leadership failure? Anything sticks out in your mind?
2: Well, there's – first of all, there's a number number of things that always stick out in your mind. Uh, first of all, you have to be open to instruction from all directions. Right. So I was very lucky when I uh, first went to my first platoon, uh, and my uh, platoon sergeant was a young young Marine by the name of Sergeant Augusto, and he said, uh, Lieutenant, I know you're in charge. He says, I probably got a little bit more experience than you do, so sometimes I'm going to ask you to listen to me, and uh, I just uh, want you to take the time to listen to me, and uh, and it, the decision is going to be yours how we move forward. But you know, this is a team sport between the two of us. So I think one of the early lessons on is even though you you may be uh, the person in charge by position, you always have to be open to learning leadership from other people and uh, and and whatever direction that may come from. You know, someone told me a number of years ago that every leader has to be a thief, uh, and what, what that means is when you're exposed to good leadership, whatever wherever the source that you take that example and you steal it and make that part of your leadership tool yeah
0: yeah and
2: <laughs> uh, i had a i had a great uh, battalion commander when i was a young captain uh, you know i had a, you know some challenging times with uh, some of the the uh, the junior leaders that i had that needed some development he said hey you 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 have your you have your hands full these guys need some help but I'll, I'll let you I'll give you as much rope as you need, but what he he taught me early on was what he called eyeball leadership and leadership by walking around. Right: We never knew where where the battalion commander was going to be he wasn't He wasn't out there looking for the gotcha moment. He was just out there looking around, seeing what was going on, and what he would do is. Uh, just come back and you knew when he was around because you would get called up and you'd have to go see him and he'd tell you what he saw, I'd give you a chance to talk about it. And it wasn't one of those um, negative things. It was more like, hey, why don't don't you think about about, uh, doing this a little bit different or taking this in your toolkit. The other thing I, I think that taught me when I became a battalion commander is by just walking around, you make yourself accessible. Yeah and people then so you can say you have an open door policy but who's going to come knock on your door right who's going to walk in the open door the true open door policy is when you make yourself available and that's a conscious decision that's an investment of time of a leader that go out there make yourself available so that people will come up to you and you'll be you'll be amazed that uh, you know a young kid told me a couple years ago I said what do you like about your captain he says when uh he asks me how I'm doing. He sticks around to know the answer, to hear what I have to say. And that's a telling thing, that if you're out there and you walk by somebody and say, how you, how's it going? You better be prepared to listen if he has something on his mind that he wants to share.
0: Right. Yeah, that whole idea of walking around, I, I, especially in the corporate area, I, I see, and I know even in my leadership roles, the pressure is intense because you feel like you got so many things to do, but... Just that simple act of walking around and being visible does so much. Um, I don't know for the morale, for the perceptions, for the actual leadership of an organization. I I just wonder why most of us don't do it more often. I mean, I, it,
2: I think one of the challenges it's time. Yeah, and and then the other part is you're you're putting yourself in a vulnerable vulnerable position. You know, the the boss goes down to the assembly line if the. You know, if the leader goes to the front lines, whatever it is, you know, you're, you're, you're making yourself vulnerable because you could be put in a situation, you know, wh- whether it's awkward by a question that you're asked, posed or whatever. But you have to have enough confidence that you're doing it because you really you want to be engaged with your people because it's all it's all about caring for them and, and being around them is a visible manifestation that you really do care.
0: It's so e- easy to understand, but you're right. It's the time. It's the intentionality that we have to, it's, it's a, an intentional act every single day. And it's so simple to, easy to understand, but even the perceptions understanding, I think what, that's what I love about the Marine Corps too. They were so good at they understanding that perceptions equal reality. And so it's that balance of, you know, being completely authentic and natural, but understanding always um, being conscious of how you're coming across or how you're being perceived. Um, I think that is a great lesson the Marine Corps taught me. What about you?
2: Well, I, I think it's, well, I think perceptions always do become reality. So, uh, one of the things I think that uh, you and I probably learned early on in our, our career is that uh, young Marines can tell whether their leader is genuine or not. Sure. And and it's a it's a subtle it's a subtle thing. I think when a young officer or leader goes to the unit first time, they're normally referred to as the lieutenant. And then something happens along the way that uh, the young Marines referred to the lead, to the leader as our lieutenant uh, or my lieutenant. Right. And, uh, and I think there's probably three parts to that. One is you demonstrated your professional competence because one of the things we promise people in an organization is that the people we put in charge are going to know their business. Uh, the other part is uh, part two is a general sense of uh, of caring about the individual and, and that and that and you can say you care all all you want, but it's more how you execute that
0: care. Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: So it's easy to say, yeah, I care about my people, people are first. But uh, the key second part is your actions have to match mm-hmm. your, your words. And then the other other part is that you demonstrate it to them, and this can be the hard one, is that you have the moral courage to make the hard decisions and the moral courage of hard decisions. Usually why that's such a dilemma is at the heart of a moral courage decision is your own self-interest. Yep. And so those three parts that you have to demonstrate to them that you have moral courage, that, uh, number, number two, that you're good at what you're due. And number three, that your, your concern is, and, and, uh, and uh your concern about individuals welfare is not just words, it's proven in actions.
0: Yeah, I love that people aren't gonna don't care how much you know or until they really know that you care about them and you're right it is an intentionality and that moral courage you can't emphasize that enough and it it can be even small things you know having the moral courage to stand up and be accountable, for the failure of your unit or or somebody else's actions, if they're honest mistakes is a very difficult thing to do. And, um, but man, it, it pays tremendous dividends. If you can, if you can stick through it. I mean, I've, we've all kind of had those examples where we've maybe didn't stand up like we should have, but, uh, it kind of goes back the difference between accountability and responsibility. And I think that's the other lesson that the Marine Corps taught me well, knowing the difference, the subtle but very powerful difference between accountability and delegated responsibility. Um, that's kind of what I hear you talking about there.
2: Well, there's part of it. Uh, first of all, you know, it, depending, whatever level you are, you're accountable for something and you're responsible for something. Even, even if you're the, the new private, you're, you're accountable for what the private does and you're responsible for what the Private does. Right. And the one thing that you can never, uh, delegate is, uh, your responsibility. Uh, you, you can delegate, uh, you know, people to do actions, but you, you can't delegate your responsibilities and you can't delegate, the uh, the accountability for those responsibilities. Right.
0: Pearl said, you know, I was talking with, uh, I guess it was with Simon, but it, even prior to talking with Simon Sinek, who you and I are, are friends with, um, in talking to the Marine Corps in general, and, and uh, I said this about maybe six months ago to someone I was working with, and I said of all the organizations that I've worked if, with, in and around, the Marine Corps is one of the most loving organizations that I've ever been associated with. And a lot of people, when they hear the word love in the Marine Corps, they don't associate the two. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I, I think at the heart at the heart of any, any good organization, there has to be – some type of emotional bond that holds the organization together. So in the in the military service, I think in the Marine Corps in particular, you know, we 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 use a lot of family terms, you know, we talk about band of brothers, we talk about the you know, my fellow marines are my brothers and sisters. Uh General Lejeune talked about the relationship uh the best relationship of leadership should be that of father to son. Uh so I think all all of that uh all, all of that tells us uh a whole bunch about the relationship. And when we talk about courage a little bit, uh you know, and I took this I I stole this from uh, Gates of Fire. So when uh the or at least the thought, so when you talk about, you know, what empowers these great uh things acts of courage that happen in hard times. And the way it was explained in Gates of Fire was that fear is an emotion, and the only thing that can overcome uh, another emotion uh, is a is an emotion, so courage doesn't overcome fear. The emotion that is needed to enable that courage is love because in the end, why we do or why you see marine soldiers sail- sailors, and airmen do the things they they do is because they truly love. Uh, that person on their right and, or, or the left, and they trust him.
0: Right. Well said. Love the reference of uh, Stephen Pressfield's Gates of Fire, too. I've really fallen in love with a lot of Pressfield's work. I mean, Gates of Fire was familiar with from the core, but uh, I've since expanded and read a lot more of his stuff, especially, I don't know if you've ever pre- read uh, The War of Art, but I just love Stephen Pressfield. I think he's great.
2: And there's some great leadership lessons that are in Gates of Fire, especially when he when he talks about when he asked the king to explain what a king is, and there's a great leadership lesson there. But the bottom line is, I think, in an organization, if an organization is going to function, it does take on some aspects of a family, even in the terminology used and then how it behaves. Uh, you know, if you go back to what I was saying about General Lejeune, uh, in his time, he said the, the relationship of senior subordinates should be that of father to son. And in modern times, that would be parent to child. And then he also said the relationship should be that of teacher to scholar. Right. So the, lessons, the lesson you take away there is that parents, how they approach their children, they're, they're the ones who give them the direction that they need to succeed in life. They provide them guidance. Uh, they are the biggest supporters they're the ones who hold us accountable when we fall short but they're also the ones that make all those opportunities uh they pick us up dust us off point us in the right direction again and and continue to be our greatest fans and then when you look at the teacher scholar relationship what you can take away from that is some of the uh best teachers are the ones that also take the time to learn from their students. Absolutely. So it's not just a, a, top-down approach. And that's, that goes back to my Sergeant Augusto uh, uh, conversation that, you know, my, my first platoon sergeant was probably my greatest leadership instructor.
0: Yeah. You know, I think back to even when I was going to the basic school and, and even my first uh, fleet squadron, those senior NCOs who really took the time to help you and teach you to become a better officer and uh, I'll never forget that and I think that's something unique that I haven't really experienced in the, in the corporate arena but uh, I love that relationship or at least that philosophy that was ingrained in the core where that enlisted folk that the, the person who's really the engine of the machine is taking the time to teach you how to become a better leader even though right. even though on the hi- hierarchical chart you're you're accountable for them what do you think some of the biggest challenges are leadership challenges that we're faced with now? I guess both military and corporate, if you can if you can touch on that, compared to when you first got in, say,
2: 1975. Well, I, I alluded to a little bit is the, the change in the time and space relationship is probably at the heart of a lot of our leadership challenges coming up. So the ultimate responsibility of a leader should be to be able to uh, see the transitions that are happening out there and and to be able to lead the the necessary actions to carry you through the transition and then the other part is uh, you you're going to have, have to be able to demonstrate the ability to quickly understand what is going on in your operating environment and to be equally quick in a, in creating the the vision needed to ex execute whatever plan it is that you develop to deal with the situation you've been dealt with, whether it's in business and government, uh, political or or, uh, or your personal life. Uh, you, you just, you're just going to have to be able to always be looking. You know, you, you want people of vision. I'm not saying you necessarily want change agents, but you need people who can adapt an organization at the speed at which things are happening.
0: What do you think? is one of the biggest thing that derails somebody's leadership career more, more than most?
2: Uh, a lack of integrity, I yeah. think would be the first thing because uh, you know, we all have uh, our own credibility banks and when we do great things, we make a deposit in it. But once, once you do something to tarnish your credibility, it's not that you make a withdrawal, you actually break the bank. Yeah, so you, have, you have to start over from ground zero. So I think the, the the quickest thing that would derail somebody is to show a lack of uh, integrity. Yeah, because uh, because that is so much of a foundation to, to trust, which is which is the heart of every uh, relationship. And trust is also the glue that holds organizations together. So if if the, a key person in the organization can't be trusted it's hard to see how that organization would have the necessary necessary glue to be able to stick together in hard times and in, and to perform well in good times in consistent with that organization's culture and values.
0: Yeah, well said. What advice would you give to somebody that um, is maybe in that middle management area, they want to become a better leader or someone who's interested in dipping their toe in the leadership pool? What advice would you give them to get started?
2: I think the the first advice would be to uh, understand that if you want to be a leader, uh, the first piece of advice is you have to want to do it. Uh, it's not, it's not enough to say hey, uh, you know, I'd like to be a leader. You actually have to want to be a leader, uh, because the cost of leadership is self-interest. So you're going to have to be willing to give up yourself. And if your idea about uh, being a leader is about all about you, and you're probably going into it for the wrong reason. So I think the first piece of advice is make sure you want the responsibility of being a leader because the cost of that responsibility is going to be your self-interest.
0: I love that. You know, as we wrap up here, I always like to ask this question of all my guests. if you had a, you know one night where you could have the ultimate dinner party and you could invite five people alive or dead and just have this fantastic night of, of, of your heroes and your mentors or whoever you'd want to invite, who would those five people be
2: well I, th- I think right now i, I would in- I would invite Sergeant Augusto because <laughs> I've, I've probably talked about him for thirty eight years so i would I would lo- like to 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 be able to you don't have other other people meet him uh i think another person at that dinner party uh would be somebody uh i think abraham lincoln uh because i think he showed some of the ultimate acts of of courage yes. uh, during his time of the presidency uh i think i would also in this in this day and age uh, uh i th- i th- i think a great a great person uh, to have would be uh, Pope Francis would probably be number, number three, just because, you know, I'd like diversity in the group, but at the same time uh, there, there clearly are some, you know, unique values that work there or unique perspectives on life. And if, and if someone talks about servant leadership, he's, he's probably the, the person that would, uh, I would, I would look to for that. Yeah. And then, and then the other part, uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I'd probably have uh, my best friend there of, uh, you know, going on, you know, 40 plus years, uh, I'd have my wife there just to make sure I stayed out of trouble. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Very good. Well, I love your list there. I mean, so are you still in touch with Sergeant Augusto?
2: Uh, Every uh, Marine Corps birthday, I get a note from him wishing me a happy Marine Corps birthday. And uh, every every time I got uh, promoted in my career, He would uh, either write or call me and tell me, uh, you know, congratulations and that how shocked he was that the Marine Corps made another mistake. (laughs) And Then he'd he'd, he'd quickly take credit for uh, (laughs) being the one who actually taught me everything I needed to know. Right.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Oh, I love that! Well, it was so great to have you on the show. Stick on the line while I while we stop the recording. We'll chat a little bit. But, Mike, gosh, it's so fun to have another Marine, someone of your caliber and, and your expertise and experience has just been so much fun to talk to you about the Marine Corps and leadership. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: Well, the the other part, parting thought is, if you're not having fun as a leader, you're doing something wrong.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, guys. General Flynn, thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, oh, real quick, how can people reach out to you? Is there, is there some place uh, I don't know when you're, where people can reach out to you, or are you at that stage yet? Are you still trying to? You probably don't have a website no, well, yet. I, I, I can, I
2: can. You can reach out to me through uh, through Simon's webpage. Uh, so you can you can contact me through uh, Start With Why. Uh, that would be one way to do it.
0: Very good. I'll have that link on the on the uh, podcast when it's posted. Again, thank you so much
1: for coming on the show. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense you can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com